Welcome to a very special social distancing season of Consumed, the podcast about life and flavor across California, and especially at its heart, the Central Coast. I'm Jamie Lewis. Every quarter, I publish 10 conversations I've had with eaters, drinkers, thinkers, and makers, but this season is a little different for obvious reasons. To keep things healthy and safe, I'm conducting interviews via Zoom. Thanks for bearing with me in this new, uncharted territory. Before we get started, I have to tell you about a recent conversation I had with my friend, James Onaveros. He's the farmer and owner of Ranchos de Onaveros and Native Nine Wines in the Santa Maria Valley, and I interviewed him in my first season. Anyway, we were talking about COVID and how much it's affecting everything in the hospitality industry, and then I said, yeah, I question whether or not I should even bother doing another season of Consumed right now, given how scary and difficult everything is. James stopped me right there and said, no, Jamie, we need these conversations now more than ever. James is a born storyteller, so I get why he thinks stories matter. But when he said he wanted to sponsor the next season of Consumed, I knew he really meant it. We need stories about our experiences, how we fell in love with food or wine or brewing or baking, and we need it right now, when so many of us have to put our passions on the back burner just to survive. So, I'm letting James and Ranchos de Anaveros help me, and I fully intend to help him. Find his exquisite Pinot Noir and Chardonnay wines at ranchosdeanaveros.com and check out his new restaurant, The Station in Los Alamos, where you can get takeout on the weekends. Find The Station at thestationlosalamos.com. And as always, Consumed is sponsored by the awesome people at Slow Life Magazine. In preparing for their first post-coronavirus issue, I've been so impressed by how resilient they are and how focused they are on the local community. I cover food for Slow Life, so it's been tricky finding a good way to write about restaurants without stressing them out. But the Slow Life editor suggested I write about farm boxes and CSAs, which is a brilliant idea while those services are going bananas with growth. The point is, Slow Life is a source of community and calm right now when we're all separated and anxiety is running maybe a little high. Look for a copy in your mailbox every other month. And if you're not already in the know, subscribe at slowlifemagazine.com. Anyone with a grammar school education knows that of all the things we consume, water is the most critical. But most people don't know, they don't truly, really know, how finite a resource water is. Brittany App is a photographer and the filmmaker behind Where There Once Was Water, a feature-length documentary that seeks to show the effects of water scarcity in California and help people understand and work to heal its water cycle. Brittany has traveled all over the world on photography gigs, and her experience seeing little girls fetch water in foreign countries inspired her to think more critically about water in her home state, which led to the idea for the film. From her new home on the Carrizo Plain in deep eastern San Luis Obispo County, she shares about her own water-saving methods, the way she is now in solidarity with those little girls who carry water to their home, and about the process of designing a film with conviction and hope in equal measure. Here's Brittany App. Brittany, where are you right now? Uh, I am at home in the Carrizo Plains. You live in the Carrizo Plains? Yeah, yeah. You can't see the view because there's like a a fence right there that blocks the glare from the solar plant. But uh, I'm in the Carrizo Plains. I could turn it the other way and show you. When did you move there? Um, I closed escrow and got my keys on March 13th. Wait. And then we were told to shelter at home on March 17th, oh my gosh. 18th. And I was like, well, I have a home, so that's good. You do have a home. And I suppose maybe it doesn't feel all that different because it's not like you're seeing families walk by outside really anyway. Uh, yeah, nobody lives out here. <laughs> How far out there are you? Um, it's, it takes me an hour from Atascadero or it'll take an hour from Paso or an hour from Margarita. So it's basically a full, you know, it's an hour and five minutes from whichever town you choose to, uh, drive from. That is so, I love that. I, we've looked at property out there for years and always thought this could be really cool. So are you happy you guys are out there? Yeah. Yeah. It's just me, honestly. And uh, me and the ducks and the sheep and, uh, I'm, I am stoked. Yeah. I love it. It's, it's a really, um, 
romantic place if you are one who is keen on wide open spaces. And there's something just extra magical and powerful about this place. And the San Andreas Fault runs like I can see it. You know, it's right there. Um, and I get to see pronghorn walk by my yard and I've got a really healthy gopher snake population because there's plenty for them to eat. So they, the other day, one of them, who's she's probably about six feet long and I think she lives under my, uh, under my deck, uh, which would really be creepy if you had, if you were creeped out by snakes. But to me, I'm like, okay, that, that's a little bit creepy, but mostly it's cool. Uh, <laughs> she showed me the other day how she can climb up the wall of the house and then into the rafters and then she can slink around in the rafters and then dangle from the rafters like a creepy horror film and then go back up and then cruise around and then go back into her little hiding place. I'm sorry, Brittany. I want to be okay with that, but I'm just not. <laughs> so I have another friend like you who's like, oh, I really wanted my property out in the crease out. And I've been shopping out there and this and that and looking around. And, and uh, then I started posting these videos of the snakes on my Instagram and he's like, nope, mm -mm, nope, 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 nope. Uh -uh, no. And they're the friendly ones too. I mean, there's, it's, it's apparently it's a really big snake year this year because we had the late rain. Yeah. Um, and so the grasses are real high and there's a ton of rattlesnakes out here, which is the ones you really want to be concerned about. Um, but the gopher snakes apparently will keep the rattlesnakes away. So, so long as I've got the friendly snakes under my house, I probably won't have the less friendly snakes under my house, uh, but they're out here. Yeah, is there's this, a bunch of wildlife out here. Is this similar to how you grew up? Did you grow up in a in um, on the plains somewhere? Uh, not on the plains, but I did grow up on a couple of acres in Los Osos. So it was, you know, like a very small, not a family farm, but kind of a family farm. We raised animals and we grew vegetables and we had fruit trees. We had a whole apple orchard. Um, right down the hill from the cemetery in Los Osos as yeah. you're like on your way to San Luis. So um, not in a city by any means and not really in town. Uh, so we had room to build forts and have baby sheep and jump on the trampoline and, you know, just be weird, wild, creative, crazy kids. Uh, my first entrepreneurial adventure was uh, breeding mice and rats to sell to the pet store as feeders. And I was probably nine or 10. And Snakes. I would I would like, you know, put them in their own little compartments. And then I would do science experiments. If you bred a black and white one with a tan and white one, how many babies would come out, what color? It was a, it was a whole deal. So the, the, the livestock thing is coming back around. <laughs> I, Snakes are a Not theme already. Or livestock, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Animal husbandry. Yeah, yeah, right. exactly. So did your parents do something agricultural? I mean, for a living, is that how they made their living? No, my, um, my mom was a nurse and then a mom. So I grew up as the oldest of four, but I'm actually the oldest of seven. Um, so with your, you know, modern American family, mom and dad were married, had two of us and then split and then mom remarried and had two more boys and dad remarried and had two more boys and a girl. Um, so I grew up with three little brothers and uh, my mom was a nurse. My stepdad was a real estate agent. And then on my dad's side, my dad was the city manager of Paso Robles for a quarter of a century. Wow. And my stepmom is an accountant. So uh, I've always loved, you know, farming and agriculture and livestock and wilderness and wildlife and the great outdoors and I think it's uh it's in my blood just because it is but also because I grew up around it enough um my dad bought he, he was in downtown Los Angeles before he moved up here and started working for the city and they did that whole like flip as far as you can flip and they bought 10 plus acres out in the rolling hills in Paso and then had a neighbor run his cattle on the property so I was around cattle when I was you know 10 11 12 and then we had sheep at my mom's house and we had rabbits and chickens and my three little brothers between the four of us and then what was going on in my dad's place there was always some manner of animal 
around. Yeah. Uh, and well, and yeah. also I'm just struck by how very local you are. Lots of roots in lots of different parts of the Central Coast. Yeah. Yeah. I've lived in almost every town of the Central Coast. It feels like. Yeah. yeah. I've lived in Morro Bay. I grew up in Los Osos. I spent a, quite a few years in Paso living at my dad's place when I was going to um, Cuesta College. Uh, I j- most recently lived in Atascadero. Um, I've lived in Napomo as hometown, well. Hometown, hometown. <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. So yeah, I've kind of gotten around and I spent some time um, house sitting in Creston kind of as a test run uh, for how I would feel about a long-term super country, you know, 30 plus minute drive to town every day situation. And I really loved it. I really love being this far out. Um, and then especially with a view like this, I mean, I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm totally in heaven out here and it's a great place for social distancing. So hey, and by the way, so now you're my ninth interview out of 10 for this season and you have wow. the best connection of anybody I have talked to. You have the best internet connection. Why, thank you. <laughs> You've been working out. I can tell. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, I, it, there's a there's a satellite dish right there. That t- it's a line of sight service. It's it's from Ranch Wi-Fi. Yeah. So it's kind of the only option out here. And opposed to it being a satellite that beams all the way to space, it just beams to the top of that hill. I can see the little nub on the top of the hill. It's fantastic. And, uh, yeah, I was trying to get by with just using my uh, cell phone mobile hotspot, and it was not that was not happening for a now you get to do everything from home situation. Right. Well, so right now you are, when I think of you, I think of you as a photographer, really accomplished and busy photographer, but also filmmaker. So how much of your time is being taken up with either of those things at the moment? (laughs) Loaded Uh, question. Well, well, um, I'm a photographer who shoots uh, primarily events and um, large events that involve lots of people all in one spot together. And I also shoot uh, a whole lot of commercial photography now. So most of my clients are actually businesses. One of my biggest clients is Cal Poly. Um, I do a ton of work for the College of Ag. I do a bunch of work for the College of Local Arts and a lot of different groups on campus, um, which we all know looks very different right now as well. Um, And, I do some like wildlife and um, wildlife friendly agriculture oriented photography. There may be some of that. that that's what I would imagine would come back quicker than the rest. Um, but in, you know, long answer to your short question, as far as photography goes, pretty much everything has been canceled. Yeah. Um, it kind of feels like, although not, not everything for the whole year has been canceled, most of what I had lined up for this year has been you know, postponed, rescheduled, reworked, or it's going to be online now or, um, yeah. So, uh, so there's not much paid photography going on, but there's an awful lot of documenting of my sheep going on. (laughs) (laughs) And thank God. (laughs) And my ducks. Um, and so then in the film, I mean, the, the, I'm like the eternal optimist and I like to always look at, well, what's the good here? You know, what, what's the bonus? The bonus is I have way more time to work on my film. So, Hey, so that is pretty cool. And same with my editor. Um, We're all stuck at home and post production on a documentary film is something that can be done from home. So um, we will have more time uh, in the, you know, the coming, however long to uh, hopefully just wrap this puppy up and wrap it up faster than we would have otherwise. So So you think the end is, the horizon is near? The horizon needs to be near, Jamie. Well, I mean, (laughs) you know, I could see this being a time when you're like, okay, rubber to the road, there's no excuse. So, and you have an editor, which is fantastic. So good. It's so good. Yeah, I couldn't do this without him. And we've worked. Oh, We've worked ahead. on projects together before, so um, it's nice to be. And this is a passion project, right? So most of the money I have raised is now going towards paying my editor so we can get this thing done. Because it's just unrealistic to think that I can do every single little piece of this thing. Yeah. Um, and he's an editor. That's what he went to school for. So, Tell me about yeah. the origins of the 
of this film. Um, I'm, I've seen the trailer and I've been on your email list for a few years now. And I love watching it progress. Um, but I didn't realize when you first were sending out emails how broad spectrum this really is. It's not just, it's not about like Paso or San Luis Obispo County. It's about California and the West. <laughs> and that's a huge, huge yeah. subject. How did you, what was the genesis of the project? Well, you know, I just thought to myself, hmm, what's the most expansive topic I could possibly try to make a first film about? God or water? <laughs> mm. Yeah, let's go with water. Um, no, uh, so how this started, I, I, it's, it's very much tied into um, how I got interested in water in the first place, you know, as a commercial photographer running around in the world, where, how does that transition kind of happen? And so the very Cliff Notes version of the story is um, I was hired as the shipboard photographer for Semester at Sea, which is a study abroad program on a ship that sails around the world and stops in all these different ports. And then the students on board do their their learning in port through different um, nonprofits or volunteer experiences or wilderness excursions or, you know, depending on what they're studying. And as the photographer, I was sent on a lot of the uh, more humanitarian service-oriented trips like build houses with Habitat for Humanity in the Kailisha Township in Cape Town and go trek into the Amazon and help rebuild a little school, you know, way out, a full day's travel from anywhere. And so it was amazing um, and literally just plopped me into all of these different places and situations that I would have had a really hard time accessing just on my own. Yeah. And it was the first time that I ever experienced um what life really looks like in a third world country mm. and specifically for the women and specifically around water and so i remember on one of these trips we were kind of coming back i think we had been repainting an orphanage in a small town in india right and we're, we're all on this bus and we're all coming back to the boat the ship mm. We're all coming back to the ship. Boats are this big and ships are, yeah. Um, and I looked out the window of the bus and we were on this dirt road and it was a real um, urban, urban situation. And there's this woman, my mother's age, and she's squatting on the dirt road and she's doing her family's laundry in this puddle of mud. And it was the... It was the really the straw that you know broke the camel's back for me. On top of everything else I had seen um, leading up to that point, I was like, "What? Like you can't you can't do life without water. You cannot do life without water." And the responsibility falls on the women and the girls. And so, in a lot of these countries where there is no water and there is no water infrastructure. The little girl's life, as soon as she's old enough to carry, you know, however many gallons on her head, that's her life. And she doesn't get to wear, she doesn't even have shoes. And she's got to walk five miles round trip multiple times a day to go fetch water that isn't even clean. And all of that, just, just seeing it and feeling it and being there just broke me to pieces. And when I got back home from semester at sea, I was like, okay. I need to do something crazy so that I can raise a bunch of money and then I could donate it to a nonprofit that's doing water access. And so I decided, I don't know, maybe I could ride a bicycle across the United States of America. Sure. That's pretty crazy. So I did that and I raised $15,000 and then I donated it to water aid and that at their, at their, you know, price per person it changed it provided water for like 500 people for the rest of their life oh my gosh that's so that must feel so good i mean you it feels, it feels really good yeah but there's still so many more people who don't have water and it turns out there's two million people in the united states that don't have clean running water and so to continue attempting to keep this cliff notes long story short that was my first like dive into water activism as a photographer, as a storyteller. 
then the big mega drought hit in California in 2014. And I, I was just kind of amazed at the disconnect. Behaviors were not changing, but all of our water was disappearing. And the day I was sitting on my porch and I looked across the street, <laughs> not out here because I don't have neighbors, but at that time I had neighbors yeah. and I looked across the street and my neighbor was power washing his boat in his driveway. And I was like, oh no. No. Oh no, 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 no. What? So now what am I gonna do? Hmm. So I started a photo project because I'm a photographer right. documenting all these disappearing bodies of water in California. Cause I know the state well, or well-ish, you know, I've grown up here. So I traveled all over the state and it became a very apocalyptic looking photo series. Yeah. Um, beautiful in a really eerie sort of way. This, this was a lake and now it is, you know, anything but. Um, and at the point where I realized that I had no idea how I was going to photograph disappearing groundwater, I was like, oh, maybe we're going to need to talk about that one. Right. Maybe I, maybe, maybe, oh, maybe this needs to be a film. Huh. Well, I've never made a film before, but I don't know. I, I could, I could, you know, figure that out. Maybe it needs to be a film. So I'll do a Kickstarter. And if the Kickstarter is successful, then I'll make a film. And then, as you know, the Kickstarter was wildly successful. Yes. And so then kind of like the bike trip, I was like, well, <laughs> I guess I'm riding a bike across the country. I guess I'm making a film. And uh, I definitely cast the net far too wide at the start. But it was also a way of kind of finding my story within this giant story you know finding the piece of the water story that i really wanted to tell within what could be 500 water stories i mean it really is one of the most expansive topics issues substances elements anything that any of us could possibly try to try to fathom it's and, so and it's life right life yeah. life does not exist without yeah. water so it touches literally everything in the, that, was not, that was not Cliff Notes. Girl, I so. invited you on to talk about this. I'm oh. welcoming your discussion. I, as a, uh, gosh, it feels funny to say storyteller for me. I don't feel like a storyteller, but I feel like a, a journalist, a writer. You are, yeah, you are a storyteller, my dear. <laughs> Finding, you know, you can cover somebody, do a profile of someone or a subject, and the net is too wide, and you have mm. to... You have to come back and you have to come back and you have to come back and you have to mine it and plumb it for the thing, for that kernel, like what you're talking about, where a story, a story can't be told as an epic saga. It has to start this big. It has to start with, I had a writing teacher once who said, start by talking about this man's fingernails. Like, are they manicured? Are they nasty? A person's hands tells a lot. And so- Finding that, because that brings us into the humanity of whatever we're discussing is, you know, our skin and our bodies. And so I can really feel, I could feel your, um, a challenge and discomfort in trying to whittle down what that small part might be. And so what is that for your story? Yeah, um, coming back to the idea of being the eternal optimist, right? Instead of making a film that was like, oh, drought, we're screwed. Um, I wanted to find what was already working, what was already hopeful, and kind of explore the ideas around healing what appears to be a rather broken water cycle um, and healing our relationship with water. And um, also kind of digging into this idea of water scarcity, even right here in the Southwest of the United States and how do we get there and, and, and how do we, you know, move through that in a way that is more equitable for everyone. Um, and so it started with, uh, it started with this, this, you know, burning desire for little girls and everyone, but because the responsibility really falls on little girls to like have water and be able to go to school and, um, uh, turned into almost this like, Sometimes I joke that the the film was a 
a really powerful rain dance because <laughs> shortly after I started yeah. working on it, what it just rained. <laughs> it just like rained well, for that. two years. <laughs> and people were like, well, how's your drought film going there, B? That's going to really fall on some deaf ears. Um, but it wasn't ever a film about the drought. It's a film about how do we get to where we are? How do we fix what we've broken? What is broken? Um, and if... 70 to 80% of the fresh water we use goes towards agriculture and we all need to eat, then how do we grow food in a way that uses less water and heals the water cycle as opposed to further degrading it? And California is a great place to look into that because we grow an awful lot of food um, and all different kinds. You know, we're growing we're growing a bunch of greens up in the Salinas Valley. We're growing a ton of dairy. If you keep going north, we're growing we're growing all kinds of nuts and fruits and grapes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We're good at growing a lot of things and we do have a great climate for it, but we we haven't ever really had the water for it. So we've had to move that water from where it fell to where we wanted it to be. Um, and that's not going to last forever. No, you know, it, it's already that system is already crumbling. And so, yeah, it's been fun. Um, and because I have this love uh, for animals and food and agriculture on every scale um, and just a fascination with it. Every time I hang out with a farmer, I'm like, whoa, you just blew my mind. I just learned like 400 new things. So wise. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's just been a cool adventure, and there are so many um, hopeful stories out there and so many things that, uh, you know, that are already working. And we say practice agriculture, so we get to keep practicing. And um, I was able to find some people who are really just uh, kicking butt in their field and and seeing the effects of what they're doing on the land in the way that the soil can hold the water in the better quality of the food that they're producing, whether it's um, animal products or vegetable products or, you know, nuts or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, it's been amazing. Did I answer your question? Oh, you could just answer that question all day. I think it's so fascinating. I think <laughs> it's so fascinating. And you know, when I started this podcast, I thought, I don't want to just talk to winemakers. I don't want to just talk to brewers and distillers. They're all so great. And I love talking to them always, but I want to talk to people who, you know, coffee and tea and kombucha. And it hit me like a frying pan. When I saw your last email come out, it's, it's water. What's the thing that I drink every single day? Um, it's water and we need it. And I've seen statistics. I could be so wrong or these could be outdated. Um, but that really, I mean, they all basically say that we shouldn't be here. Is that, would you say that? I mean, LA shouldn't be there. It's all because of, well, because of infrastructure. Right, LA is there. So whether it should be or shouldn't be, um, it's there. So what do we do with it now? Because I think the conversation of, I mean, it, it could not be there if we had not routed water there. Yeah. It could not exist in the way that it currently exists if we didn't bring water to that very naturally deserted part of California. Um, but should it or should it not is, you know, there. Uh, Besides the there. point. Yeah. Yeah, it's there. So how do we do better with what we've already got? Um, and there's a group in LA that I have spent quite a bit of time with working on this film because I'm not only looking at the agricultural solutions because LA, right? Like, yeah. is there agriculture happening in LA? No, there's a whole bunch of concrete and industry and city. And so what do we do with that? Yeah. What's gonna work there and help there is gonna be quite different than what's gonna work in Shasta County or way up in Modoc County, you know? Um, so in the city, there's a group called Tree People and um, Andy Lipkiss has been at this for decades and he is with his group really working to um, like re-sponge the city. Mm-hmm. So putting giant cisterns under parks to capture and hold rainfall to then use to irrigate the trees in that park mm-hmm. um, and putting more permeable um, sidewalks and driveways and things in so that you're not just 
swooshing all of that rain out to the ocean, like get it out, get it out. The, the best thing to do is get it back into the ground. Um, so in a city environment like that, where you can get more of the rainwater into the ground. So then when you're pulling water out of the ground, there's more to pull. Yeah. Um, and there's been some really great uh, water recycling efforts going on in Southern California. So Orange County is a great example. And um, there's a there's a um, Edward C. Little water recycling facility near Redondo Beach is in my film. And they're recycling water to five different quality standards, one including drinking water. And they're able to produce like a good chunk of their city's water needs just from recycled water. That's incredible. Um, so that kind of technological solution is going to work really well in cities. Mm. Um, cleaning up polluted groundwater. There's a huge super fund site down in the San Gabriel Basin that I've featured in the film where they're cleaning up all of this polluted groundwater and then serving it um, to people as drinking water. It goes through all of these crazy, as you can imagine, mm. stages of, of cleaning. But how many millions and millions and millions of gallons of water is that that was not available until that technology was available? So we really have to think watershed by watershed and oppose you know, as opposed to this this fight that's always gone on, like Northern California versus Southern California, yeah. like, and it's real, um, and we're right in the middle, right? So we can kind of claim like Switzerland, uh, <laughs> we're, we're neither, we're, we're chill, we're doing good here in Slow County, um, but we just gotta work with, do the best we can with where we are, with what we have created up to this point, and hopefully, you know, get better and better at it moving forward. And, and by it, I mean, you know, working, walking as gently on the land as we can, conserving, right? The first step is use less. Mm -hmm. I was gonna ask you what your water habits are, like how have yeah. they changed? Um, well, it's interesting now uh, and kind of ironic. I, I am living uh, out here in the Creso. I have a, a well. Um, it's very productive, meaning there's plenty of water, but it's not safe to drink. Mm -hmm. So um, I now find myself hauling my drinking water from town in five-gallon jugs like those little girls. Like the girls. Right. And it's like, it's kind of cool. It is kind of cool. cool. Because... Um, I'm, I'm far more connected with my water because I can't just turn on the faucet and as much as I want comes out and it's safe to drink. It's not safe to drink. My water's full of nitrates and selenium and it has a crazy high um, TDS rating, which is total dissolved solids, which is really not great to drink. So when you turn the faucet on, it's kind of like sand is coming out with the water. Yeah. And that's 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 what the groundwater is like out here. It's, it's not like my well is the only bad well. I knew that when I bought the property, it's part of the jam in the Criso Plains. It's part of the reason the property is cheap. Yeah. Um, the water is really alkaline. Um, the soil is really alkaline. And um, like I said, there's plenty of it, <laughs> but you can, you can flush your toilet all you want. Yeah, um, right. But I mean, I still don't, you know? So, so to, to come back and answer your question, if I if I just pee, it can it can sit there for a few pees before I flush it. Yeah. Because um, I'm also on a septic tank, so I don't want to overwork the septic tank. I don't want to ask too much out of the clay soil as far as filtering my human waste. Um, and yeah, with hauling my with hauling my water, I'm just I'm 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 actually physically connected to the water that I consume and the water that I cook with, and so. Um, in doing that, you just automatically, I think, become a little bit more cognizant and it becomes a bit more of a sacred relationship because you've had that that time together. Um, I thought I when you said that, when you said, I'm now I'm like those little girls, you said, and that's, and I thought she could either say that's awesome or she could say, and that's so sad. I mean, I didn't know which way it was going to go. And I think it is cool. I think you couldn't say how cool it was, though, if you hadn't gone through this journey and this process. Well, and another piece, I mean, the piece that really brings it home for me, um, I mean, I'm out here living on um, 
Chumash land, right? Like all the land we live on here in the United States was not ours. Um, And the people in the United States who suffer the most from water scarcity are those living on Navajo Nation in Arizona and New Mexico. And a huge percentage, it's over 60%, I believe, of the people living on Navajo Nation don't have running water and don't have electricity. And it's 2020. Why is that? that? Why? Um, Um, that's (laughs) right. (laughs) Right. Brittany, episode two, three. (laughs) (laughs) yeah why is that jamie it's crazy um so the the first group that i profile in my film is dig deep Mm -hmm. and they're based in los angeles and they are working primarily on navajo nation um to bring real basic running water systems to people's homes and they fundraise all year long and they are making a dent you know in what is a really huge problem and especially right now what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to stay home and we're supposed to wash our hands. How the hell do you wash your hands if you don't have running water? Yeah. It touches everything. And then how everything. are you going to stay home if you have to drive 100 miles round trip to the only place where you can fill up your water? And how do you do that drive if you can't afford the gas? And then how do you haul the water if you're old and you live alone? You know, I mean, I'm, I can haul five gallons, but not everybody can haul. That's eight pounds a gallon. Water is really heavy. Like, obviously, we know that. But once you start hauling it, you're like, oh, wow, geez. Um, so, yeah, that's that's where the story of those little girls just, like, hits home for me and breaks my heart. Because <laughs> uh, we've done enough damage already. And still we're letting our Native people, like, live without the basic necessities. Like we should be so angry about that Mm. Um, or compassionate. We should be so compassionate about it that we do more, Mm -hmm. you know? And if all we can do is donate 10 bucks, donate the 10 bucks, you know? Um, Yeah, it's crazy. And I didn't know that was a thing until I, you know, until I was like, hey, this this issue in Africa, does that happen here? Mm. You know? Oh, hey, are, are cows really that bad? I don't know. Let's go learn about cows. Oh, it turns out, depending on how you manage them, they're not that bad. Huh, look at the things you can learn when you start asking questions. Oh, right. Navajo people don't have running water. Oh, and cows can actually heal the water cycle. Yeah. That was a diversion. That was a tangent of all tangents. Yeah. But-, but it actually relates to the next thing I was going to ask you, which is the storytelling process and... Um, the film, from what I can see from the trailer, is just uh, the color and the cinematography is so beautiful, and it is feature length worthy. Um, Thank you. Yeah, and so as far as the technical stuff, you know, and so filmmaking is so interesting because you have so much technical side, but then you also have the heart side and the story crafting side. So tell me a little bit about how that developed for you. That's a good question. I, you know, it's this whole thing from the very beginning has been a passion project and um, I may lead with my heart kind of a human. And then uh, that ends up, (laughs) reel me back in if I don't end up answering your (laughs) question. That ends up creating a story that's too big. Um, yeah. That's what happened for me anyway. It was like, oh, and I could, well, this, and oh, and I could talk to them, and oh, and what about that, and oh, and this, and then and I went to Standing Rock, and I got to fit Standing Rock mm-hmm. in there, and this and that, and people were like, hey, B. Uh, it, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. Like, Come on okay. back. Uh, let's shoot for one hour, not 10 hours, right? Because mm-hmm. we, you know. And um, yeah, so a lot of it has just been this this um, kind of boundless curiosity um, and constant optimism and um, and and real genuine passion for um, the sacredness of water mm-hmm. and. Uh, so I have followed a lot of rabbit holes, I guess, in that process and then done my best to 
kind of reel that all in. You know, once I gathered it all, I had to make some real hard decisions uh, in the editing room and chop some fabulous people and fabulous stories out of the film because you just can't, you know, you just can't fit it all in there. Um, Who's and one so of, oh, start, I'm sorry. Go ahead. We start with this discussion of water scarcity and how did we get here and why is this still a thing? Um, and then, um, then we kind of look at the, the, the more global picture of maybe where we're headed or maybe where we could be headed. And then we really start to dive into some of the technological solutions. And then we finish up with exploring all of these different agricultural solutions. And at the very end, we land on kind of the, you know, um, all these little pieces all put into one, which, and you're going to love this because the, the, we land on Tablas Creek Vineyard, right, yeah. right here in Slow County. They're doing everything. They're amazing. All in one spot. And, and they're a commercial scale winery. They're not like a little, you know, podunk backyard project. Mm. If you want to know how to do agriculture in a way that's responsible on all of the levels and is healing the water cycle and is healing the community and it's like checking all of the boxes, Tablas Creek is your they're your people. And you know um, what else about Tablas Creek that always blows my mind is there's there's discussion, not so much anymore, but there used to be discussion in the wine community that if you were doing organic or you were doing, you know, any kind of measures to minimize your um, footprint, that the wine suffered, that it wasn't as good mm-hmm. to drink. Tablas Creek is remarkable because their wine is so good and it <laughs> always has been and it's respected it, over the Atlantic here, yep. and they just yep. happen to be rock stars with all of their um, all of their methods and efforts are. It's amazing. They're spearheading things for other wineries here, but they also taste so good. Yep, yep, yeah. Um, I mean, it's it really is incredible. And they just I just saw um, that they are the pilot program for the brand new regenerative certified. Hmm. label yeah um, I might be getting those words not not quite right but I mean that like you said spearheading and that's what they're always doing yeah. and um, you want to drink wine and solve all the problems all at once that's your wine right yeah. and then and really then what can I do in my life if I'm not a winery or I'm not a rancher or I'm not a you know shepherd like or I'm not a row cropper. Like, what can I do if I'm just living my life and working my office job? Well, I can choose to buy wine from Topless Creek, yeah. and I can choose to buy beef from Spencer Smith up in Modoc County or anyone doing regenerative agriculture with their sheep or their cows or their chickens or whatever. Um, you find you you find the producers who are farming in a way that is healing the water cycle and then healing the soil, and then healing everything, and you buy your food from them. Yeah. And then we can all, then then we do make a big difference, and we make a big difference quickly because, again, going back to that, you know, 70 to 80% of our fresh water goes towards agriculture. We don't need to use that much water to grow food mm-hmm. uh, if we are also growing soil, because by growing soil, then we have living soil that holds that water like a sponge, and you don't need to add a bunch to it because it's it's already there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Always, I'm always amazed at how the long-term difference is made with, well, how do I say this? Actually, I just had Larry Kandarian on, and he said it better than I can. Oh, he's great. He is great. But he said something about, um, oh, if you want to do it together, you do it slowly. But if you want to do it alone, you do it fast. And I love that because we have to make those changes slowly, including the soil. Yeah. We have to yeah. work with it. And so yeah. much um, so much media is coming out with that information all the time from Joel Salatin to Michael Pollan to the biggest little farm. We yeah. keep again and again seeing that soil is so much of the equation. Oh, it's huge. I kind of, you know, I kind of ended up making a film about soil. (laughs) You didn't mean to, did you? I set out to make a film about water and now I'm kind of a soil nerd and I kind of made a film about soil because you can't make, you can't, you, 
You can't talk water without talking trees and you can't talk water without talking soil. Hmm. And, um, you know, we haven't even gone there, but trees is a huge part of it. Um, So, yeah, uh, reducing, recycling uh, the trees. The uh, keystone species in a watershed, like the salmon, are really important. Mm. The beavers are really important. Mm. The trees are really important. And then we got to grow food in a way that as close as possible mimics these natural cycles and, and heals heals all of the cycles with the with the water cycle kind of at the forefront. Yeah. Right. So as far as when the film comes out, I know that we can't hold you to any date. <laughs> That's very nice of you. But I want to. <laughs> Could you tell yeah. me, like, what what is yeah. your hope? Are you hoping twenty twenty? Well, I um, if we're just being honest here, I was hoping twenty seventeen. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's why I giggle. Uh, so oh. release date, you know, release date, uh, yeah, October of twenty seventeen. So we're right on schedule, and yeah. um, I'm sure it. <laughs> but had it come out then, it was pouring, right? Yeah, it was pouring. So, and it wouldn't be the film that it has become since then. Um, I have grown up with this film. Uh, the film has grown up and you can't, you can't make a thing without funding. And I'm not going to be, I'm not keeping a penny. I haven't, you know, I haven't seen a penny of any of it, but I've had to raise money in order to pay my editor and pay for other expenses around making a film. Um, whether it's travel or uh, fresh cards for the cameras or um, a new backup hard drive, these yeah. things uh, these things cost money. Um, so it's it's been an interesting process because up until coronavirus, I was working full time as a photographer, and so trying to add on top of that production of a feature length film that whenever I ran out of money, I had to raise more money for to be able to work on it again. It's just I mean it's been the slowest going. Mm. Uh, passion project and the most rewarding project of my career Mm. so far. Absolutely. So, you know, I wouldn't change anything and I'm really grateful to be where we're at and to come back around and finally answer your question. Um, I I hope we have it done by the end of the year and I have no idea what, um, what a release will look like because I was hoping to release it to the film festival circuit and I don't know when film festivals are coming back. Yeah. Right. So, um, there's a really amazing film out right now called the story of plastic. Hmm. And um, they are being, um, you know, adversely affected as far as screenings go right now because they were booked into all these festivals. But I've noticed some really um, forward thinking ideas going on around the screening of that. So the Occidental Arts and Ecology Center, who's also a part of my film, Hmm. is going to be hosting like a private online screening of the story of plastic and then having a live Q&A. Um, via Zoom afterwards. So there are ways to work around it. It's not going to be the same as having everybody in a theater together. But if if that's a life-threatening situation, let's not do that. You know, let's figure out other ways to do this. So, um, so we'll see. I mean, we're just going to, we're going to get the film done. Yeah, let's that's, start with that. That's, we're going to start there. And uh, yeah, but we are light at the end of the tunnel. We're on the home stretch. I mean, we have... Uh, we're not at picture lock just yet, hmm. but we're close, which is a really big deal. Like all of the interviews are in there, all of the B-roll, the B-roll is 95% there. There's just a few little tweaks where I'm like, mm, that shot doesn't quite line up with what she's saying. So let's, let's put it in this one instead. Um, and then it's just all the fine tuning, like finishing up the music, finish, you know, fixing the color and the sound and all that fine tuning stuff. And then, and then all the less fun paperworky stuff. Yes. Right. How can yeah. people support or find out about what you're doing? The website is the spot and the address is where there once was water.com. Okay. Good. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah, and honestly, as, as, as far as supporting, you know, someone asked me the other day if I was, raising money for this thing right now and with everything that's going on in the world if you would like to donate money please donate money to your food bank yeah, right. or Good. to dig deep or you know any of the many like very needed and super important um, causes that are out there right now I would much rather you donate money to Navajo families right now than to my film so 
like we're good. I have I have a, a bit of money sitting there to pay Gar to get us to the end of this thing. That's a nod to my fabulous editor Gar. That's a pirate name. <laughs> Gar. Gar. I think that um, editors make the world go round. I mean, yes, they just thank yes. God for them. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> I tell you what, Brittany, what yeah. would you eat if you knew you were going to die tomorrow? That's such a strange question, and uh, it's supposed to be a positive question. It's supposed to be a celebratory. Yeah, I have kind of a funny answer, and um, uh, now everyone will know another secret about me. Um, I don't do all that well with digesting um, dairy products. Mm -hmm. I love cheese. Mm. Mm. And one of my favorite, favorite things to eat is some gourmet, super extra cheesy mac and cheese. Oh. But I don't ever do that because the next day is no fun. So, so if I'm gonna die tomorrow anyway, <laughs> I'm gonna have the biggest, cheesiest bowl of gourmet mac and cheese. Yes. I don't even care if there's anything else. It just, that, that'll do. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. And maybe a kombucha. Oh, a to kombucha. kind of like balance out. <laughs> Oh, Brittany, I'm so proud of the work that you're doing. I'm proud of someone in our county caring about that and taking the lead on something that affects the whole world. Um, I just, I applaud you and it makes my chest swell listening to you talk about how much you love it. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome. Okay, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for doing doing what you do, Jamie. Oh my gosh. (laughs) It's like a party. I like parties. I don't know. I It's really, really fun for me, too. Just the way you feel about what you're doing. Oh. Okay. All right, my dear. See Thank you soon. You. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to Consumed, as always. I'm so glad you joined me. Consumed is produced by me, Jamie Lewis, and edited by Chris Lambert. If you want to get all kinds of tidbits like recipes, updates on guests, and new seasons, join the Consumed mailing list at letsgetconsumed.com or follow me on Instagram at J-A-I-M-E-C-L-E-W-I-S. Until next season, wear your mask, wash your hands, cook dinner, send letters to your loved ones, support your local purveyors, and make a budget for takeout. Every little bit helps. Take care, everyone.